Well, again, welcome. Good morning. Um, glad you are, are here with us on this second Sunday of, of Advent, this season of expectation. Uh, not simply uh, an expectation of, of this special day that we are uh, moving towards, uh, but expectation that, that God continues to work uh, in our hearts and in our lives, and that he didn't just come once, that he comes uh, to us uh, through his word and through his spirit. He comes as well and will, will come uh, again uh, one day. So I'm glad you're here. My name is Nathan. I'm the campus pastor here. Let me pray for us as we continue our study uh, in these first couple chapters of Luke. Let's pray. God, we, um, I am amazed by a story like this. Um, puzzled, uh, filled with uh, way more questions than answers, and yet um, overjoyed that you would come, um, even in this strange way, that you would come to rescue your people, that you would come to rescue us. And so, God, I, I pray that we would see you on these pages this morning and not just see you because we believe you are there and you're revealing yourself to us. God, I pray that we would see ourselves in this story and that we would see that you continue uh, to call us to an impossible faith. So, Lord Jesus, help us to trust you. And pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it was uh, over the summer, so a few months ago, my uh, nephew asked me uh, with, you know, only the sort of intensity uh, and excitement that a seven-year-old uh, can possibly muster. Uh, and he asked me in such a way where I could kind of tell uh, that he was sort of looking for a, maybe a better answer than he'd gotten other places. He simply said to me, Uncle Nathan... Don't you wish Star Wars was true? <laughs> and I mean, with such feel, I can't even do it justice, right? With such feeling, such intensity. And honestly, my first thought was to give him exactly what he wanted. Uh, you know, I wanted to just lie to him and say, actually, you know what? I, I am a Jedi and I will train you my young Padawan, right? That's, that's what I wanted to do. Um, but then I was thinking about the conversation I'd have to have later on with my older sister and, you know, brought back old memories and just thought, well, you know what, I'm going to leave that there. And I, I simply said, you know, absolutely, Matthew. Yes, yes, I, I, wish, I wish that it was true. And even though, I mean, it's ridiculous, right? We all sort of chuckle uh, with it. And yes, I know, I'm, I'm a nerd. Um, and yet there's something about Matthew's question uh, that for me, I, I think it's a question that no matter who you are, I think we all are asking that question. Uh, that we are all longing for that. Uncle, Uncle Nathan, don't you wish the impossible was true? Don't you wish the, the fantastic, the, the wonderful, the, the unbelievable were really, truly, actually true? I mean, who wouldn't want to take classes at Hogwarts or, or walk through a, a wardrobe into the mystical world of Narnia, or be friends with a hairy-footed hobbit. And yes, I already admitted it, okay? I know, I'm a nerd, okay? Get over it. Besides, you know that I'm right. We love impossible stories. But why? Well, I tend to think that it's because there's one impossible story we were actually created for. And that one story 
uh, is the source of all other, all other stories. All, every other story is simply an echo of that one true story. And I, and I realize if you hear that as sort of a skeptic, right, maybe you're here not really believing this stuff or not really sure what you believe, uh, you might hear that sentence and, and you prefer to kind of reverse it, right? And I, and I get that to say, well, you know what, actually maybe we, we picked one impossible story to believe in because we like impossible stories. And I, I get that, okay? Um, Believing this stuff, believing something so fantastic is really hard. It freaks me out. And, and I would wager that if there is a doubt you're wrestling with, I've wrestled with it as well. And yet there is one clear difference between those impossible stories and this one. This one actually claims to be true. And not just in the vague sense that all religions claim to be true, but this one, our story and ours alone, claims to be grounded in historical fact, in actual events, studied with with research and and personal interviews and and eyewitnesses. You see, there's this guy named Luke. We've been looking at his words during this month together. Who wrote this stuff down for us. And Luke wasn't exactly a likely convert for belief in Jesus. In fact, Luke, I mean, Luke was an outsider. He was, he was a Gentile. He, he didn't grow up with the, uh, the history or the prophecies or any sort of expectation for Messiah. And Luke is a doctor. Okay, so that, that meant, even by their standards in that day, that he was an educated individual, and like any good doctor, Luke knew where babies come from. And he knew that dead people stay dead. And yet, when he begins his gospel, we saw these words last week, and we kind of summarized the very beginning uh, of, of his words in chapter 1. He begins by saying that he compiled this narrative from eyewitnesses, that, that he followed closely their words in order to write an orderly account so that his readers, us, would have certainty concerning any rumors that we've heard about this guy named Jesus. And it was not without scholarly effort that Luke writes. Impossible or not, Luke actually intends for us to believe that these events actually happened. And now just imagine... Luke, sitting down to interview Mary, years after all of this happened. I mean, it's likely that Mary would have still been alive when Luke began his research. And it's also likely that Luke, with all of his travels with the Apostle Paul, all throughout that known world, would have had access to Mary. So picture them sitting down to a cup of coffee. Mary, maybe at this point in her 60s, and it's, it's years after those famous events with her son. His life, death, resurrection. And, and, and picture Luke feverishly trying to take notes. Trying to get down to the, the bottom of this, this impossible story. Where to begin? Well, Mary, before we get into the details of your of your story. If you had one thing you wanted people to, to hear and remember from these events that happened to you, from your part in his story, what would it be? 
Well, Luke, I, I think quite simply it'd be that God loves the impossible. And man, we see that all over the place in this story, with Mary's story. God picks impossible people. He prefers impossible methods. And he pursues impossible faith. So Mary, why you? Don't you wonder how many times she was asked that question? Why did God pick you to raise his son? Well, Luke, I wish I had a good answer to that question. I don't, I don't know why. I, I don't know why the angel showed up in my life and called me the favored one. But I do know that this God picks impossible people. Just, just think about it for a moment. You marry your, your circumstance. I mean, Luke tells us some of those, those details. Mary, at this point, uh, would have been as young as 12 uh, and certainly no older than 15. And so kids, students, right, if you, if you think that your life is insignificant now or that you, your faith doesn't really matter now, think again. Look at, look at this story of Mary. And she's engaged already to this carpenter named Joseph. This means she was engaged to a life of poverty. And, and she's from the, the podunk village Nazareth. Everybody knew that Nazareth was the wrong side of the tracks. Her? And Luke wants us to, to notice this. I think it's even in some ways why he positions the stories like he does. He wants us to understand, right? The story last week was this guy named Zechariah, right? Same angel comes, very similar circumstance, but Zechariah, he is a priest, right? He's got it together. And, and Zechariah receives his visit when he's in Jerusalem. That's God's city, and he's there in the temple. Isn't that where God does his best work? Not a chance. Mary's story couldn't be more different from her uncle Zechariah's. And Luke wants us to feel how low Mary is, how impossible she is. Now, I want to be respectful, certainly, um, to our, our Catholic brothers and sisters. And I know that, that many of you have, have even come here from, from that background, but the idea that Mary was perfect... Uh, that she herself was born of a virgin and that she never died, all that's part of, of, of Catholic doctrine. Um, that's not in this story. And honestly, it's not in any of these stories. Well, Mary is worthy of great honor, and I hope, we, I hope we walk away with that today. She's worthy of great honor. She's not worthy of our worship or of our, of our prayers. In fact, that, that, didn't, that belief didn't um, enter in officially into the Catholic Church until 1854, so if you think about that in church history, that's a relatively new idea. And I think even more so, it misses the beauty of what Luke is trying to communicate. Luke doesn't want us to come away and think that Mary was the perfect choice. He wants us to see that Mary, she's the impossible choice. Yet the angel comes to her. And he says, do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and we, we call the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. 
And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. The king, Mary, that you've been waiting for, that the son of God himself, the God who made you, Mary, will become human in your body, will grow up in your home, will be raised by you, Mary. And he will reign forever and ever. God picks impossible people. It's what he does, and Mary knew it. That that wouldn't have been a surprise to her. I mean, just look at God's track record throughout the Old Testament. Mary would have known these stories, right? That, That God loves to pick, we talked about this last week, God loves to pick women who can't get pregnant to carry his promise. He does it with Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, Elizabeth. He loves to pick the second born instead of the first born. In that culture, that's unthinkable. But God favors Abel over Cain, Isaac over Ishmael, Jacob over Esau. Even the ugly and unloved Leah finds a place in God's story. Even the prostitute Rahab, even the immigrant Ruth. You see, Luke, Luke, unlike any, or more than any of the other gospel writers, Luke wants us to see that Jesus picks the outsider. And it makes sense, right? Luke is an outsider, He's a Gentile, and he's writing to outsiders. I even wonder a little bit if that's why Luke only tells Mary's side of the story, not Joseph's. If it's impossible, and the more impossible it is, Luke wants us to see it. It kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, recess, back in elementary school, playing kickball. Um, I was always the fat kid. Uh, so slow and awkward and, and all that really fun stuff when you're that age. Um, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and, I mean, is anything, like, more cruel than the pick, kids picking their own teams, right, on the playground? I mean, it, it's lonely to be last. And I, I can tell you from, you know, personal examples, right, from personal history. And, you know, what Luke wants us to see is that God always picks the fat kid. He always picks the underdog. Which, honestly then, now in sort of reflection on this, this past week as I've thought about this story, it's kind of caused me a little bit of concern because I've got my junk together now. (laughs) I mean, we live in Johnson County, right? Shoot, we even all go to church. (laughs) And if you're not one of the impossibles, then what hope do you have? I mean, if you think you're a likely candidate for God's grace, you are the last person he picks. I mean, if you think your stuff's not nearly as bad as others, right, you can look down on them and, well, I don't do that, I do this, and that's, that's okay, God, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Or, or, you, or you struggle to forgive others because they've offended you so much more than you've offended God. I mean, if that, if that describes you, I mean, if you... If you aren't surprised that God would rescue you, come to this earth, give his life, all that just to know you and to love you, if you aren't shocked by that, then you haven't met him yet. And and the reality is, even as we're on this subject, just kind of as a side note, if we can't identify with the world's impossibles, the poor, the oppressed, people who look different from us, people who choose different lifestyles from us. 
If we can't identify with the impossibles in our world, what hope do we have? I mean, look at Mary's song. It's at the end of our, of our passage. She responds with this, this beautiful song. Towards the end, she says, He, God, has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich, he has sent away empty. But good news, if you feel like the biggest failure, if you look at your circumstance or your life and you think, God, you couldn't love me, couldn't forgive me, couldn't, couldn't use me, I mean, here, here we are, right? We're at the end, end of another year, which in my opinion is just another reminder of how little progress I've made on my life goals, right? How those, how those New Year's resolutions working out for you. I'm sure you'll do a lot better next year. <laughs> I've got good news for you, loser. God picks impossible people. It's what he does. Okay, so back, back to this interview. Just picture, picture the conversation. Okay, so, so Mary, I, I get it. The angel came to you, an, an unlikely candidate, but he, but he did. So, so tell, me, uh, tell me, Mary, how did, it, how did it happen? Yeah, uh, Luke, I wish I had a good answer to that one as well. I don't know if you heard all the rumors, but I was a virgin. Really, Mary? I mean, off the record... Uh, just, just between us here, really? God loves the impossible. Now, sure, God spends most of his time working in very ordinary ways. I don't, I don't want us to minimize that. But in these big moments in redemptive history, God is the king of extravagance. And Mary, I mean, very reasonably, right? She's, she wants to ask, how, how does it work, right? She, she asks the angel, how will this be? since I'm a virgin. I mean, it's kind of like this, at this point, I'm, she's got to be wondering if, if a, the angel Gabriel missed health class, right, in angel middle school. I mean, this is uncharted territory. Yes, Mary, she, she'd heard all the stories, right, all those famous stories of, of barren women getting pregnant. But this? There's no precedent for this. I mean, yeah, Isaiah did predict something maybe sort of like this, but that was... That was 600 years ago. And so the angel explains. Well, I wish he did, not really. I mean, I sure would like a little more science of the, of the matter, right? Sort of wish he could just sort of draw it out, maybe some sort of diagram or, or something. It's, it just, it, it's so mysterious, right? He simply basically just responds to her. So yeah, Mary, uh, the God of the universe, the one who made everything, who doesn't have physicality, he is going to, in your womb, become physical, human. Oh, yeah, well, that explains it. <laughs> Thanks for that. And even though it seems so weird to us, doesn't it? Uh, theologically, this is a really important matter. Because this, this small but very important detail, it shows us how, how Jesus could be born without sin, without original sin, right? It also shows us how he could be both fully God and fully man, apart from which he can't save us. So it, it does matter. 
it just kind of blows our minds a little bit. Yeah, I get you. Me too. So Mary, what happened next? I mean, how did, how did you respond to this? Well, Luke, it was like the angel could read my mind. Uh, he, as, if, as if he knew how impossible the science of all this was. And so he said to me, very simply, I mean, believe me, I, I wanted more answers. I wanted some details. I wanted to know how. And yet he simply said to me, Mary, nothing will be impossible with God. And I know we struggle with this, right? I mean, it just seems so foreign, so crazy, so just flat out mythical, right? And yet if God is real, and if he is even remotely involved in the world that he made, then truly nothing, nothing is impossible. And I know we feel so far removed from a story like this, don't we? We just feel so distant, like it happens on a different planet, right? In a galaxy far, far away. But ask yourself, if you can't trust God with the impossible, what, what can you trust him for? Just for, for example here, how's your prayer life? Oh, I hate that question, right? I mean, everybody in here hates that question, don't you? I mean, every, I, I think the only thing you can feel in response to a question like that is guilt. That's what I feel. And yet, the way we pray sure says a lot about who we trust, doesn't it? I mean, do we trust God for big things? And I'm, I'm not talking about pie in the sky or you know, any ridiculous sort of guarantees or anything, but do you, do you expect him to show up? Do you expect big things for your marriage, for your kids, for your work? Do, what about big things for your church, for your community, for, for your heart? Many of us live such small lives because we expect such small things from God. But this God, our God, he loves the impossible. Okay, so Mary, I've got to know, how did you respond to all of this? What did, what did you say? Well, I told him to bring it. And that's, that's what she says, essentially, right? She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. For, friends, God picks impossible people. He prefers impossible methods. And don't miss this. He pursues impossible faith. I mean, just imagine what Mary agreed to in this moment. I mean, think about what this, what this meant for her as a young, unmarried teenage girl. The laughter, the stares, every person in her life assuming the worst about her. Her reputation completely gone. I swear there was this angel. Yeah, yeah, Mary, some angel, right? I mean, you can just imagine it. What, what about her family or friends? How, how is Joseph, her fiancé, going to handle all this? What about her synagogue, her, you know, her religious community around her? What, what is that going to be like for her? I mean, don't you just wonder how many times in her life Mary was called a whore? Don't you wonder that? And her son, illegitimate? 
And even think about those first few months for her. We didn't have any pregnancy tests, right? I mean, so she's late, I guess. Maybe a little morning sickness. I mean, how long until she knew, really knew? And even after he was born, right? I mean, sure, there's signs along the way, but, but every mom thinks they give birth to the Son of God, right? I mean, it's just part of the way it works. It was 30 years, 30 years before Jesus' first recorded miracle or sermon. That is a long time to wait after a story like this. But what then, Mary? What did you do next? How did you respond? Well, there was one early moment of confirmation. The angel had, had said to me that my, my aunt Elizabeth was also pregnant. She was old, okay? And she'd never been able to have kids. And so I, I had to see it for myself. And so I, I went to her, and I wasn't, I wasn't even showing yet. And when I got there, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb, that's John the Baptist, leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Don't, don't miss that. Impossible faith is all over this story, right? And Elizabeth, I think she sums it up so beautifully. Blessed is she who believed. Not blessed is she who did great things or had her life figured out or had it all together. Blessed is the one who, who believes, who, who trusts. And Mary's belief, her trust, right, her dependence forces her to respond. And she does with joy. And you can almost hear her singing her song to Luke so many years later. That's how the passage ends, right? This beautiful song. We sang part of it even this morning. Mary singing out there in that moment to Luke, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary isn't unique because she was so special. She's unique because she's so ordinary and yet so, so faithful. And friends, life with this God the God we read about here, a God who loves the impossible, is a life of faith. And faith, it's not a blind leap. Okay? Mary takes lots of, of little steps along the way. And faith doesn't happen you know, isolated in, in a vacuum. Mary finds support and confirmation from her aunt. And faith may still ask, how is this going to be? And yet faith says to God, bring it. I'm yours. And when's the last time I've said that to God and actually meant it? I mean, really. I mean, and, and, and be honest, if your life doesn't require faith, who are you really following? Because, I mean, truthfully, for myself, I can easily live my life without a dribble of faith. God, I got this. You know, I'm fine. I mean, when's, when's the last time you've done anything that required faith, because what I want, really, truthfully, what I want is to live a, a decent, comfortable life. 
And I would guess that for most of us in this room, what we want more than anything in the world is to live a decent, comfortable life. And that doesn't take faith. Or maybe even as you think about your kids, right? What you want most for your kids is, is that they are successful and well-adjusted, right? Or you just sort of survive parenting. That doesn't take, that doesn't take faith. Or even, even think, about, think about your job, your work, to just make a decent living, to make it to retirement, to somehow get through. Is that all God wants for us? And what about your finances, your friendships, your sex life? How about your, your church your neighborhood? What, what about your hopes for this broken world? I am ashamed at how mediocre and how faithless my life can so often be. And I'm, I'm haunted by these words of, of Donald Miller. Let me read them. He says, if you watched a movie about a guy who wanted a Volvo and worked for years to get it, You wouldn't cry at the end when he drove off the lot testing the windshield wipers. You wouldn't tell your friends you saw a beautiful movie or go home and put a record on to think about the story you'd seen. But we spend years actually living those stories and expect our lives to feel meaningful. We were created for so much more. We were created for the impossible. So how do we get there? Well, I think if we were to ask Mary what she, what, how, would, how to respond, right? What, what would be a good next step, Mary, for, for all of us in, in our various circumstances? What, what would that be? Well, I think, I think she'd give us one. Uh, and it doesn't matter who you are, uh, what you believe, whether you, whether you believe this stuff or not, whether you're young or old, a simple next step for this week. Do something that requires faith. Something that you just, you couldn't possibly do it on your own. And, and for some of you, probably maybe a smaller group of you, but for some of you, you hear those words and you instantly know what it is. I mean, you, you know what God has been pushing you towards and, and moving you in that direction and, and you just sort of needed a little bit of a push. You know what that is. If you have heard God's voice this morning, do not harden your heart. Yes, seek confirmation from others like Mary did. But if you know what God is calling you to do, do it. For others of us, maybe, maybe for most of us, we need, we need some more time, don't we? We need, we need to pray and ask God, God, just would you show me? Show me how faithless my life is and where, where I need to take steps of faith. Steps to, to, that, that trust you, that, that require me to, to actually depend on you. Maybe it's a conversation you need to have or forgiveness that you need to offer. Maybe it's something at work. or Maybe it's just having a bigger, bigger vision for, for your family. Maybe it's a place to serve or to give, or to tell somebody else about Jesus. And for others, maybe it's giving your life to this impossible God and finding yourself in his impossible story. But you know, whatever it is, it's going to cost. I mean, just look what it cost Mary. I don't even just mean the shame of those early days. What, what, would, must, what must it have been like for her to watch as her son was nailed to a tree? I mean, for her, it cost everything. And the reality is, even for us, friends, 
Faith is always costly. And if it isn't costing you something, you don't have it. And it might cost you everything. But just imagine what Mary gained. Hope and wholeness. Forgiveness and joy. Anticipation of a life that would never end for her son did not stay dead. And he has come for every one of us. Come to bring rescue and life, to bring hope and joy. Our God loves the impossible. And he invites us into his impossible life, a life unlike any other. So what step will you take?